Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys. What's the age limit on this, uh, Tommy Jean? Four to fifth grade. Four to fifth grade. I'm just beyond that. Y'all look like you're having such a good time. I'd like to be a member of your choir. Hubba, hubba, bubba, bubba. Yeah. <laughs> bubba, bubba, hoo, hoo. All right. Bye-bye, BB. Hope you've got your Bibles, and you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. I always tell you that Mother's Day and Father's Day and any day when there's recognition of family in the home, it is it's really some of the hardest messages for me because I cannot stand before you and say I have been the parent that I should have been, nor the husband, nor the grandfather now. So hear not my words today, but hear the word from God, okay? And folks, the Bible is truly God's instruction manual for us, not only in how to know him personally through his son, the way of salvation, but God's plan for us to live lives that are patterned after him and after his son. There's not an area of life that God will not give us instruction in. And folks, today, and we'll probably look at this for several Sundays, I want us to think about being godly parents and grandparents. And I've got to throw that in, okay? Because I don't think we can be godly parents without first, without also being godly grandparents. Let me read this passage of Scripture, and then we're going to pray, okay? And again, I hope that if you don't have your Bible with you this morning, you'll take your bulletin home, and you'll, you'll read this passage of Scripture, okay? Now, this is a commandment, the statutes and the ordinances which the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. And we're going to remind you of this again in just a moment. But Moses is teaching the people of God. And first, God gave Moses these instructions. And he told Moses to teach the people that you may do them in the land which you're going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God. Now, please notice in this passage of Scripture, in the next couple of weeks, we're going we're to look at all these things that God tells Moses to say to his people. They are to do the statutes and commandments. In the second verse, they are to fear the Lord your God. And then look at that next phrase. And I really had not noticed this phrase until last week. You, your son, and your son's son. Now, ladies, he is not just singling out the men, folks, because this is for all of the children. But listen to this. He is speaking, God is speaking to three generations, and in essence, all generations. He is speaking to the people that are there at the base of Mount Sinai. He's speaking to them to tell their sons and also their grandsons what God is saying. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, and look at this next phrase, all the days of your life. Folks, living godly lives is not something we do on special days, but it's something that you and I are supposed to do as parents and grandparents throughout our life, and that your days may be prolonged. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. This passage of Scripture is so rich. Listen, hear what God has to say, and then do it. God's pretty straightforward, isn't he? Hear what God says, then do it. That it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. 
and a land flowing with milk and honey. Folks, throughout the Word of God, there's this formula. Obedience produces blessings. God doesn't bless us because we are obedient. He's already got all these blessings He wants to give us, but the more obedient we are to Him, the more we open the door for God to bless us in our homes and our marriages and our families. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. Folks, a lot of times we have the word here, but we don't have it in the heart. And in the Bible, of course, the heart stood for the control center, that which which was directing us. You shall teach them. Now, folks, listen. This is what God says. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You shall teach them to your children. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to take a close examination of ourselves as parents and grandparents to see if we're being obedient to your word, to teach and to set examples for our children and our grandchildren. And Father, we fail in so many ways, but Lord, I am so grateful that you give us many chances to return back to you and become the people, the godly parents and grandparents you want us to be. So I pray for myself as well as each parent and grandparent in this room that, God, we will be the people that you want us to be, especially in helping our children and grandchildren to see you in us. Help us, Father, to train them in the way that they should go, knowing that the Word of God says that if we do when they're old, they will not depart from it. Father, please speak in these moments ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want us to begin talking about godly parents and grandparents. But before I do that, and I've been waiting for months to share this story with you. This is a true story. And before I tell you this story, I hope that you have thanked your mother or grandmother for the part they play in your life. And if your your grandmother's dead or your mother's dead, just thank God for godly mothers and godly grandmothers. But back last fall, one of our church members was in Roxburgh Nursing Center for a time of rehab. And, and I'm not going to call the name. Many of you would know this family. They're not members of our church. But I've known the family for many years and know that they are a very godly family, a very uh, Christ-focused and Christ-centered family. Uh, the mother had gotten old and has dementia. And as I was sitting in our church member's room making visits, I could see across the hallway this lady had a child who daily came by to check on her. And it was obvious that, that one of the needs that she had was to receive more nutrition. Um, I understand that part of dementia, as you progress toward the end of it, that you just don't desire to eat. And so the son, the child would come, and especially at mealtime, and encourage his mother to eat. 
that particular afternoon as I was gazing across the hall, they brought snacks by, and they brought this older lady a little thing of ice cream. And I don't know why, I just wanted to watch as the son encouraged his mother to eat ice cream. She would not eat any until she tried to get him to eat the ice cream. I was so struck by that that when I finished my visit, I stepped across the hall because I just wanted to speak. And I looked at the lady and said, Is your ice cream good? And she looked at me and said, Would you like to have it? Even with the dementia, she could not stop being a mother. She could not stop desiring to give and to comfort and to share. Thank God for our mothers and grandmothers who have given us so much. So let's get to the message. As we celebrate another's Lord Day and celebrate the gift of parents and children, I truly pray that each one of us as parents and grandparents will hear the teachings of the Word of God about our Christian role, our Christian responsibility, and our Christian duty as a godly parent and grandparent. And there's some things that I want to state before I begin. And again, I'm not trying to be judgmental or critical, and I'm not trying to discourage you. And folks, I want to tell you something that I learned even yesterday. It is not too late for God to intervene, not only in our lives and in our families, but also in this country. We must turn back to God and hear his word and obey his word if our country is going to turn and go in a new direction. Our world is in a mess. You don't need any other explanation of that. Our country has it been lost as we have known it for generations. And even this week as I was talking with someone, they said, you know, I wish in a way that we live like the Waltons did. And then someone said, well, I'd hate to do without all the inconveniences, but perhaps some of the reasons where we are now is because we've got so many things that are detracting us from each other and most especially from God. We must stop abandoning the word of God and the one true God and turn back to his word and to his ways. Folks, I'm serious when I say that. There is no hope outside of the eternal God helping us get this country back on the right track. And how about our homes? Is Jesus Christ truly the Lord of our home? Are our homes spiritual incubators or nurseries where our children are growing up with a a sound spiritual foundation? Are our homes places of worship and spiritual growth or have our homes become battlefields between we who are husbands and wives and even between children and parents? Have we as parents delegated the duty of raising our children in the Lord, have we delegated that responsibility to the church or to the state 
or to a single parent or even to the grandparents? How can we as a society and nation and family and individuals get back to what God intended, most especially for our homes and for our families? And folks, if we're going to get back to what God intended, we must return to the Word of God and what it teaches about being godly parents and godly grandparents and having a Christian home. Folks, it is small wonder that the devil seeks to lead us away from the Scripture. And again, my heart this morning is not to be critical, but to point some things out that you and I need to do. As godly men and women, as godly husbands and wives, as godly grandparents, we must turn back to the Word of God. And one of the first things we need to do is ask ourselves this question, does the Word of God speak to us as parents and grandparents? And folks, the answer to that is absolutely yes. We need to hear these teachings from this Old Testament passage. And folks, let me point out the background of this passage of Scripture. And don't tune me off when I I talk about the background of this passage of Scripture. Folks, God has already promised a man named Abraham that he would be the father of a special nation used by God. And let me read these verses to you. It is out of Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And just listen as I read these verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who curses you. I will curse And by you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. Folks, you and I, as we study the word of God, know that this man, Abraham, broke away from the evil society that he was living in and became obedient to God. And this man ultimately becomes one of the the great men of God's plan that is mentioned as a part of God's plan to send his own son into the world. In Matthew 1.1, Jesus is described as the son of David and the son of Abraham. But folks, let me tell you what's so important about Abraham. As you read those first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, God created Adam and Eve in fellowship with him, and Satan tempts them. God gave them freedom to choose whether they would follow him or follow their own evil ways. They chose their evil way, and from that time forward, there have been men and women who have followed God and men and women who have followed their evil desires. And let me give you a couple of examples of that. The first children, Cain and Abel. Abel was following God. Cain was trying to worship himself. You remember the story, Cain slew Abel? Cain left town. His descendants, and folks, if you go back, you can begin to see this happening in the Bible. There is a group that follows God. There's a group that rebels against God. In Noah's day, why did the flood come? Because Noah was obedient to God, and Noah saved himself and his family. But the rest of the world was destroyed. And yes, I believe that actually happened. God's word said it did. God said sin would bring judgment, and it did. 
Folks, in chapter 11 that precedes the call of Abraham, the people on the earth are multiplying, and guess what? They build a tower, the tower called Babel. They want to they lift themselves up to God. They want to go up and be like God. And God causes confusion in their speech, and they're scattered throughout the world. And God's purpose that men would be good and godly and follow Him and live in fellowship with Him, they have rejected. But will God give up on man? Absolutely not. And so God calls a man named Abraham to leave the land that he has lived in, to leave his family behind, to have a new beginning and to serve him and become the forefather of a nation that would be a light to the rest of the world. And folks, as you and I look at the book of, of, of Deuteronomy, where we've, we've read the scripture this morning, a nation has been birthed at the Exodus. And I'm not just trying to give you Old Testament history. I want you to know God's been at work, folks. Ever since the creation of man, God wants our homes to be godly. God wants our nation to be a godly nation. God wants our lives to radiate His love and reflect His light to the entire world. In Exodus chapter, chapter 19, verse 3 to 6, as the Hebrew slaves had been led by Moses, and again, like Abraham, Moses was assigned the duty to lead people to God. And they've been delivered from captivity. They've gotten out to the Mount of Sinai. And listen to what God says in Exodus 19, 3 through 6. Listen to these verses. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel. God says, This is the instruction that I want to give you to give my people. Listen to this. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be, listen to these phrases, you shall be my own possession among all peoples. God loves all the world. He says, for all the earth is mine. But God wanted this nation, Israel, to be a special nation. Listen to how he describes Israel in verses 6 and 7. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And let me stop right there for just a second. What in the world does this mean? Is this just Old Testament language? What was a priest? In our day, when we say priest, what do we think about? Someone who walks around in a special clerical outfit, and I'm not trying to make fun or a robe. But, and I, I wish I could tell you where I, I learned this from, and, and I've searched my mind, and it doesn't take real long to do that, but I couldn't remember where, where I got this from. But someone has given the definition of a priest as a bridge builder between holy God and sinful man. I remember hearing a woman who had been a professional women's basketball player give her testimony at a college at a college chapel service. And her life had been one of sin. She had gotten in dr- involved in drugs, alcohol, sex outside of marriage. She was so lost it ruined her career. And when she came to know the Lord, and I can remember she was like 6'6 six, six or 6'8, which is very tall for a woman, isn't it? 
But I can remember her at that chapel service and saying, when I got right with God, God told me he wanted to be like a bridge between himself and people that are lost. And she stood before the group of college students and she had her arms like this. And folks, I believe that this is what this passage of Scripture is all about. God wanting us to be the bridge between holy God and people that don't yet know Him. And put yourself in that position as a parent and as a grandparent. We are that link between a loving God and young people that need to hear the story of a Savior that loves them and the God who created them. And we don't tell them who else is. If we don't tell them, they'll think they're a product of evolution or some cosmic accident. And again, I'm not a scientist and I'm not trying to throw rocks. I'm just trying to say, folks, it is time for you and I to become godly men and women and godly parents and grandparents that become bridge builders between our children and grandchildren and God. Folks, if you think that's a, just an Old Testament concept, listen to this. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Listen to this. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal what? Priesthood. A holy nation. There's that expression again. God's own people that you may declare. Listen to this. That you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were no people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And listen to Revelations chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. And I've got to read a couple of verses to get to the point here, okay? John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you, peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, And listen to the next phrase. And made us a kingdom, priest to God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Folks, listen. We let Jesus save us, but then do we let him make us a priest. A kingdom of priests. Bridge builders between God and our children and the world around us. We are to be bridge builders. And also, God wanted his people to be a holy nation, a people separated from the world's ungodly ways and walking in God's righteousness and holy will. And again, folks, that goes back to the importance of Genesis 12. Abraham was living in a very evil society, but he said yes to God. We're living in a very evil society. But when we say yes to God, God uses our life to touch others. And when you put these two together, the kingdom of priests and the holy nation, it helps us to see that God wanted the people of the Old Testament to be the light and his witness to the entire world. They rejected that plan as a nation, so God raised up who? God raised up his church. God raised up all followers of Christ to be the kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And folks, as Christians, this is God's plan for you and me. Do you and I look at ourselves as priests, as bridge builders? 
helping and assisting people to find the love and the grace and mercy of God, most especially our children. And folks, let me tell you another reason why Deuteronomy 6 is so important. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, there was not yet a tabernacle or temple for people to worship in. Soon God would give the instructions that there would be a special place that he would be worshipped. And folks, remember, this passage of Scripture is thousands of years before the New Testament church came to be. So please hear this next question. So where were the people to worship their Lord? If there's no tabernacle, no temple, no church, where did people worship the Lord? In the home. In the home. Folks, do we worship the Lord God in our homes? Do we gather in our homes so that we can share with our children and grandchildren the love of Jesus Christ? And folks, I know that's a serious question. But let me ask you something. We've already been described as what? As priests. As a holy nation. Do you and I know that if we allow him to, God will give us the tools to be godly parents and grandparents? And folks, think about this. Where was the first institution of worship in the Bible? It was in the home. As Adam and Eve, and as those early people that God created began to have families, they saw their families worshiping God. When Noah gets off of the ark, what does he do? He builds an altar to the Lord. Surely his children were watching as he did that. Have your children come up and ask you, why do you do these things? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you pray? Why do we ask a blessing? Why do we go to church? Why do we go to Sunday school? God wants us to tell them. And folks, it was God's design that there be a gathering of the body of believers in the church to worship Him, but also God's design and desire that the home would be the place of spiritual training and worship. And folks, let me say something, not to relieve myself of any responsibility, but the church... The pastor, the associate youth pastor, the Sunday school teachers, all leaders are important in this church. But isn't it God's greatest desire that the spiritual knowledge of worship of him begin first in the homes with the parents and the grandparents? And if I'm wrong, God, forgive me. But if this is what the word of God is teaching, should we not turn back to it? And that's a hard thing to swallow, isn't it? That God wants us to use our homes as places of worship. I'm just about finished, but I want to point out one other passage of Scripture. Proverbs 22, verse 6. How many of us have, have quoted or read this verse? Listen to this. Train up a child, and we're going to have this in two different translations. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Let me read that out of the Living Bible. Teach a child to choose the right path, and when he is older, he will remain upon it. Folks, 
Let me just read you some notes out of the Full Life Study Bible, okay, on Proverbs 22.6. Parents must commit themselves to godly training and discipline of their children. Again, both of those, the King James says train, the Living Bible says teach. The Hebrew word for train or teach means to dedicate. Christian training has as its purpose the dedication of our children to God and His will. And folks, it's interesting about the Hebrew word that is used here to teach or to train comes from a root which means to give or cultivate a taste for. Quick story. I know I'm running out of time. Quick story. Both of our girls were found to be anemic uh, when they were, you know, those early years. And I, I guess I hope that's, you know, basically not unusual. But the doctor told Debbie that we needed to eat some beef liver. And Debbie and I talked. I went to Food Line and got some beef liver. She found a recipe that you could soak it in. And I'm not, if you like beef liver, I'm not knocking you, okay? She found a recipe that she could, um, she could soak it in Italian dressing and then fry it. Unbeknownst to me, I didn't know which particular night we were going to have it for supper. And I came home, and I was in a bad mood anyway, but I sit down, and I wasn't thinking. You know, it's one of those moments where I just was not thinking at all. And I cut a piece of that beef liver, and I put it in my mouth first. And I didn't realize what I was doing, but I said, Ugh. And you could hear forks dropping around the table. <laughs> it's a true story. Rebecca and Sarah would not eat the beef liver because of my response and my reaction. And folks, listen to what this passage of Scripture is saying. When we train our children, when we cultivate a taste for the things of God, let me ask you something as parents and as grandparents. Are we training, are we cultivating our children to follow Jesus Christ? If our kids don't see us loving the Lord and loving His church and loving His Word and loving not only time to be in His house and worship Him, if they don't see us taking time to be with God, why do we expect them to take time to be with God. And you can say, well, the preacher's trying to be critical. Absolutely not. I'm trying to be honest, even about myself. You know, I can be just as big a hypocrite or play actor as anybody else. Do they see in us a desire to serve and know the living God? And folks, I believe there's a promise here. The Word says... If we train a child up in the way that he should go when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, let me tell you something, and I know from experience, we cannot pass on. We can share, but a child must make their own commitment to the Lord, and I know that. But, folks, I truly believe that what this, the proverbist is saying, that if you and I will set the right example, if we'll bring our children up in a godly way, then we can trust God that that seed will be planted in their heart. And even if they become rebellious at one time, they'll turn back to God. 
Let me give you an example of that. How about the prodigal son? He went out and he raised the devil, didn't he? But guess what? He came home. I learned something yesterday, and I'm embarrassed to tell it to you. And no names mentioned here, but, you know, I've given up on some folks in my life and said, oh, they'll never turn to the Lord. They'll never get things worked out. But let me tell you something. I was given up on them before God gave up on them. God never does. But God expects you and I as parents and grandparents to have such an atmosphere in our home that our children are seeing by our lives and by our actions and by our love for Jesus Christ. They're seeing godly examples. And that will always be in their heart and their mind. Folks, I'd never stand before you and say being a godly parent or grandparent is easy because it is not. With men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Let's pray together.